Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rogcast. I've got to uh, start this episode with a few apologies. Uh, it's been a while since we've recorded a new episode and that is all my fault. I've just been up against it in uh, see the run up to Christmas, trying to complete on a few deals. Uh, unfortunately, the broadcast took a bit of a, a hammering and, and went to the bottom of the priority list. But I can assure you from next year, 2022, you're going to see a lot more or going to hear a lot more regular episodes of the broadcast. We've already recorded a few that we're going to be releasing in the new year. But I thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of finish or as, we end, as we're getting towards Christmas, to kind of look at what's going on in the market, look at a few different trends um, that are happening, and uh, really go into a bit of detail about the residential market, really. Obviously, with the pandemic, now we've got a new kind of Omicron virus going around. Um, it's, a, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of an odd time, but also people are still trying to get their heads around whether we are in bubble territory now with residential house prices, with rents, the way they've been increasing and things like that. So I thought I would go through some stats really for this one. I've got no guests, so unfortunately you're going to have to put up with my uh, lovely monotone voice all episode, but it's going to be fairly kind of heavy on the on the stats and hopefully you'll get you'll get something out of it. So if we kick off I wanted to kind of break down some sort of information really about the housing market in the UK. And some of these kind of overall stats might surprise people. There's currently 29 million homes in the UK. 29 million. There are 175,000 new households, and that's net new households, formed every year but that number's rising by about 0.6% a year so last year we had 175,000 net new households okay so what um what will fall into that category will be obviously um people moving into the country more people moving in than moving out so that's net migration it'll also be uh, new households formed so whether that's people um, partnering up, getting married together, living together, could also be the other end of the spectrum with divorces, okay? So more households are being formed than households are leaving the market. So that could mean people kind of dying, um, various other things. But also remember that when people get older, they move into care as well a lot. So that can constitute it too. But remember that 175,000 is increasing by approximately 0.6% a year. So that's not a stable number, that's a growing number, uh, which is interesting, especially when lots of people come out with the arguments about fertility rates and things like that. It's really important to remember that it's still, we still have a growing amount of households in the UK at the moment. If we look at new homes being built, how does it uh, manage to keep up with that 175,000? So let's just imagine for a second that we had enough homes in the UK to support everyone that's in the UK at the moment, all the households there, which obviously we don't. Um, but let's just imagine that next year there's going to be 175,000 new homes plus 0.6%. 
how many new homes are being built each year? Well, from 2019, and the reason we're looking at 2019, it was, it was pre-pandemic. So hopefully it kind of gives an idea of what happens in, a, in, in, in inverted commas, uh, a normal year. Um, there were 160,000 new homes built. In 2020, that number was just 128,000. Now, even that 160,000, there's some reports actually that that gets pushed up. Now, I'm a bit of a stickler for the rules here. And one of the things that did happen in some of those years was some of those new homes got listed as being built twice. Now, that's because they would look at what was under development one year and count it as a new home. And then they'd look at what was under development the next year and count that as a new home, even though it might have been the same development that just took more than a year to build. So some of these stats you've got to kind of you've got to look into in a bit of detail, really. Obviously, that 160,000 new homes was not spread evenly around the UK, so there's going to be disparity in locations. But again, you can look to where you feel that there's going to be that supply and demand imbalance. We've got kind of Boris talking about infrastructure spend. Um, we've got him talking about the north-south divide, the levelling up, all that kind of stuff. So, again, what things to things to watch are infrastructure spend, government spend into certain areas. Um, what we've kind of, well, what I have have looked at is. In any city that's not your capital, so not London, not a global city, so likes of Manchester, Leeds, etc. Um, anytime you have more than 800 million uh, being spent specifically on infrastructure, that starts to correspond to an increased average wage of a household. And it's really important to keep looking at the uh, wages of households in a specific area because really what that does is it determines starts to determine rents i mean if, if you're looking at other countries you'd you'd look at that number but you'd also look at supply and demand but as we know supply and demand uh in the uk is uh, is a bit tough i mean don't get me wrong there are certain areas where there's more more supply than demand but if we're going to look at it on average um, that's something that we can kind of take for granted. But the caveat here, obviously, every location is different. Um, every use class and tenant type, it all adds to it. So you've got to kind of do your research on that. So when we then look at the rental sector, okay, remember we've got 29 million homes. Just under 5 million of those homes are rental properties. Um, Depending on which research you look at, it's between 4.55 and 5 million, okay, of those are rental properties. And that, say, 4.5 to 5 million is made up of 1.6 million council homes and 2.4 million housing association-owned homes. And that only leaves about 550,000 homes for your typical mom and pop landlords. Um, now, social homes is an interesting one. In 2011, we had 40,000 social homes were built. By 2017, that number was just 4,700. Okay, that's new social homes built. 
and it jumped back up to 35,000 in 2019, but it fell back to 25,000 last year. So clearly, when you look at the amount of rental homes and you look at the proportion of those rental homes that are social tenants, we are just nowhere near the mark on social homes being built, new social homes being built. Now that to me is a massive, massive kind of opportunity there. So really, really interesting um, points on that one. Another thing that I think is worth kind of talking about when it comes to kind of trends, I mean, we're getting a lot of kind of, every time I go into any sort of forum, I, there's, there's often kind of a conversation about our um, landlords leaving the market, this is going to push rents up, there'll be no rental homes left. Well, yes and no. Certain landlords are leaving the market, so the number of landlords is probably reducing, but the amount of properties each landlord has is increasing. So what that really is meaning is the government are doing not succeeding in what they set out to do, which was they want landlords at scale who are more corporate in their kind of operation. Um, and really what's happening is more of these corporate landlords uh, or institutional landlords are um, increasing their market share. Now that doesn't mean that there's going to be less rental homes Actually, what they're trying to do is increase the amount of rental homes by building more properties that are specifically to rent. So this is build to rent, or um, uh, and it's called various different things, where depending on where you are in the world. But essentially, when we're talking about build to rent, we're talking about properties that are built specifically for rental. Um, now, what's interesting about this kind of phenomena? in the UK is we are so far behind the other major real estate um, markets globally. So if we look at the USA, alternative properties, okay, and by alternatives we mean residential falls into that, um, but it also includes logistics, industrials, hotels, things like that. So if you look at alternative properties in an institutional property portfolio, um, they make up less than 10% of the portfolio in Europe. So that's alternatives as a whole, where residential is just a small part. That's 10% of institutional property portfolios is made up of the alternative properties in Europe. In the USA, 48%. So that's 48, almost half, or pretty much half, is alternative properties. Okay, so that's, and a, and a huge amount of that is in the residential build-to-rent sector, as well as the industrial as well. And the UK is even further behind than the rest of Europe. Okay, there's currently, or not currently right now, but at the time that I wrote this piece, which was about four months ago, there were only 30,000 build-to-rent units in the UK being lived in. And as of April 2021, there were 170,000 in development. So that's really not a huge amount when you look at the amount of kind of uh, rental properties in the UK being sort of between four and a half and five. 
Now, what's clear is that capital is flowing into this asset class. It is absolutely flowing globally into um, the USA, Europe, and UK is seen as a very, very kind of latecomer to this, to this market, this build-to-rent market. Um, it's coming, it's, capital's flowing into it because it's seen as safer than existing stock due to long-term income plays. Um, replacement costs are mitigated. Legislation creating frictional expenditure down the line, for example, due to EPCs, is mitigated. Demographic demands and needs are met. So what's happening is institutions are looking at where there's a need and they're building what's needed. Okay, and they're doing it at scale. So normally 1,000 residential properties is kind of the minimum that institutions want to get in at. And they want to have that in their portfolio. Um, and they are starting to take up market share. Whereas your mum and pop landlords who maybe have one or two buy-to-lets, they are deciding that the 200 odd pieces of legislation for renting out a property might not be for them anymore. And so they are starting to kind of shift into uh, putting their capital elsewhere. To, to a point, some are incorporating and thinking, yeah, actually, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to build it up and do it at scale, and then it's a bit more manageable. Um, so what we're seeming to have is that there is a lot of money flowing into this market. We've seen that in the USA, which is a more mature property market than the UK, well, more mature than Europe, and Europe is even more mature than, uh, than us here. And what we're seeing is that actually, if we look ahead at those markets, you can see that we have a long way to grow in that um, institutional money flooding into the residential market. So that should build quite a bit of confidence for those people that are keen to stay in that residential market. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not going to be easy. Um, and it, is, it does become a bit easier when you've got those economies of scale because it means that your operational costs don't really eat into your into your returns for example when you've got a thousand properties uh, the cost of your property management is not going to be um, a, you can get a good economies of scale whereas look, maintenance is still a big issue and when you've got a 50 grand property regardless really you, you're still going to have to pay certain things into maintenance um, so what build to rent is doing is it's targeting specific areas now what that is doing is it's got the potential of creating a bit more of a, uh, a wealth gap in terms of the property as well. So that could be interesting to see how, how that plays out. Next up, I want to kind of talk about rental price growth. Um, the ONS gave out some stats in September 2021, so a couple of months ago. And they claimed that rental price growth had risen by 1.3% in the last year. Now, anyone who rents properties out will be thinking 1.3%, no chance, it's gone up way more than that. But they're not wrong. Um, it has actually gone up by 1.3% because what this figure includes is it includes all tenancies. It doesn't, it's not showing new tenancies. And the majority of rental properties are not new they've been there for a year or two so 
That's why that number seems so low. However, when you actually get in and look at new tenancies agreed, that shows rents are up 8.7% as of October this year. So 8.7% versus 1.3, huge, huge increase in new tenancies signed. And uh, greatest in, well, the greatest rises are actually in Northern Ireland and then Wales. And then after Wales, the biggest rise is London. So London is at 9.7% in October. A month later, November, new tenancies in London, it's actually over 11%. So we can see London that had a bit of a rough time during the pandemic because obviously people would start to shift massive amounts of stock came back into the rental market where we had over 80,000 short lets in London. Um, and that was just short lets on Airbnb. Went back into ASTs. We had lots of foreign students not coming over. Now that demand is starting to come back, although maybe not if Omicron has anything to do with it. Um, but we're starting to see a lot of those uh, short-term rentals that were converted to ASTs. Obviously, they can't convert straight back because you've got legislation about evicting tenants and what have you. So we're starting to see demand and supply go the other way which is leading to a bit of an uh, increase in that. Now, remember what I said at the beginning, it's not all about demand and supply when it comes to rents. It is actually about the income. So how much can you afford to spend on rents? And uh, another interesting stat is actually, it's more affordable now than it was in 2019 for renting. Okay, and that is throughout the UK, um, wherever you are. So if we look, for example, at London, London now, your average household in London that rents is spending 33.9% of their income on uh, their rent. Now, if we look back to a year ago, that number was 35.3%. And the year before that, so pre-pandemic 2019, that was 36.6%. So actually, what that shows us is despite those rents going up in new tenancies anyway, what's actually happened is incomes have gone up by even more than that to make sure, well, to ensure that actually we are more affordable than it was in 2019 in London well, and the rest of the UK as well. Um, so an interesting one there, lots of people don't kind of, when, you, when you're speaking to younger people who are trying to kind of save money, yes, it's, it's difficult to save, but... Um, putting putting everything into perspective and I think it comes down to priorities and what priorities are in where you can afford to save or you want to spend money on things and there's absolutely nothing wrong with either of them so again just going back to those new tenancies we said it was 9.7% increase year on year in London uh, if we look through the UK um, rents the average rent went up to 1059 pounds in 2020, it was £975, and in 2019, it was £953. So we can see there's a big rise there um, coming between uh, last year and this year. Again, we talked about the affordability and uh, how much people's rents are being spent on their... Uh, sorry, how much people's incomes are being spent on their rent. And uh, again, just looking at London. So I did say London had a tough time 
going back even as far as 2018, you had a lo- the average London rent was £1,696. That was 2018 in October. October 2019, that was down. That was down to £1,665. And then 2020, that was down again. So a downward trend all the way down through up to 2020. In 2020, it was £1,604. Now, the first uptick is 2021, October 2021, £1,759. So a massive upward trend there, um, starting kind of what you might even look at as a rental cycle off. So I talked earlier about the medium pay, well, the pay, most people's wages increasing faster than the rents have gone up, which shows the affordability is actually doing pretty well. Um, obviously, during the pandemic, there was a, a big blip on the medium income um, and, uh, and, and, and incomes did drop, but they rose pretty quickly back up. And actually, if you were to look at a graph, you'd see a pretty linear line going all the way from 2017 up to October 2021, where we've got the dates of, from the ONS. You will see a downward kind of a trough around the pandemic, but it comes back up and it's still in line with where it was going. Um, So it shows that actually medium wages on the whole have been, uh, have not really been affected in in the, uh, in the great scheme of things. Obviously in the short term um, they were, but they're back on track. So if we look now at kind of my, one of my favorite stats for looking at house prices in the UK, it's first time buyer mortgage payments as a percentage of their take-home pay. Now, I just think this is just one of the most underrated stats for house prices. Um, I always say affordability is not what the papers say. It's not about kind of people's incomes uh, and house prices as a multiple of income because people just don't buy in cash, especially not first-time buyers who are the people that kind of get the market moving from the base and actually affordability in, in from my opinion is made up of kind of two metrics really it's that initial deposit as a percentage of someone's or as a multiple of someone's income really um, and so that can include kind of your stamp duty what you've got to put down up front and then the second and arguably more important is really the mortgage servicing costs as a percentage of your take-home pay because what that takes into consideration it takes into consideration interest rates inflation um, uh, the length of a mortgage so mortgage terms for most first-time buyers are 35 years whereas 15 years ago they were 25 Um, before that they were 20 years so that's a massive massive um, uh, influence on it as well um, so I just I do think this this uh, this stat is an absolutely great one to kind of keep your eye on, um, and obviously we've got very very low interest rates at the moment. Um, but what's interesting is people concerned if they're going up. Well, we are actually seeing take home pay increasing um, quite considerably. I think it's about twelve percent over the last year on average. It's gone up, so that's pretty positive if you're looking at house prices. Obviously, it's going to be different wherever you are in the country. So if you look at that stat for uh, first-time buyer mortgages as a percentage of take-home pay uh, or mortgage payments, sorry, um, 
throughout the UK, on the average, it's normally around your kind of 33%. In London, it's normally a, a fair bit higher, around 50%. And what is really interesting is where you um, where we've seen house house price crashes in the past. It's been um, it's been they've come right after this metric has skyrocketed so what we see as the uk as a whole that average of around 30 33 percent um what we've seen is actually that number go to about 40 45 percent and that's a massive warning sign that actually there needs to either be a correction in prices or wages need to rise at a very fast rate for it to be sustainable in london that number, once it goes kind of over 60% of take-home pay, it's the same uh, kind of red flag warning, really. So are we in a bubble? Well, no, not really at the moment. Things seem to be okay. What happens if interest rates go up? Well, wages have gone up in line with that, or actually more in line with that, so we can afford for that to happen, for it not really to, to affect um, house prices Again, it's going to be different to where you are if you're in the middle of Timbuktu and there's only one employer and obviously that employer uh, might come across hard times, then yes, you're going to be beholden to that area and that area will struggle, a bit like what's, what we've seen in Aberdeen with a certain industry. Um, so yeah, I'd just be aware of that. If you are looking at that, look into it. Also, um, what we might see as well, if the availability of credit goes down, so for example, if deposits have to increase and things like that, to be honest, I can't see that happening too much. It's the way it's going. It seems deposits are shortening or, or, or decreasing, sorry. Uh, I know there hasn't been much uptake of the whole 95% mortgage thing that the government's doing, but there's plenty of other opportunities out there um, for decent kind of um, loan to values. So again, it's all pretty positive on that front as well as the rents. When we look at the median pay uh, by age groups, this is interesting as well. So what we can see is the highest earners, the highest median earners in age are really on the whole, anyone between 25 and 64. And normally we'd say, well, that's, that's kind of your average renters. Now, if you're, if you're a landlord and you rent to younger people, that makes up most of your rentals, it's interesting to know that actually there's a massive difference between the median pay of 18 to 24 year olds and 25 to 34 year olds. 25 to 34 year olds are almost 35% uh, more than that younger age group. So if your kind of market is that younger age group, just uh, it's important to kind of understand that you, what you are kind of renting to um, maybe isn't as uh, safe as the other kind of age groups so just need to make sure you're really being quite diligent in that um, in terms of industries where are those industries that are showing really high price growth or really high wage growth sorry so we can see kind of um, finance and insurance has shot up information and communication public administration and defense social security manufacturing, construction, transport and storage. So if you are in an area where you've got kind of big employers around those industries, their wages are shooting up more than the average kind of wages increasing. So again, that's positive for those areas where 
that those industries are big. Um, looking again at London, I know I pick out London here, but if you do want to get in touch with me, feel free to um, contact me and ask me if there's a specific area you want me to look at. We've got these for kind of Manchester, and Southwest, and various other areas. I'm quite kind of selfish because I do them in majority of areas that I, uh, I, I'm in, invested in. Um, but London's always an interesting one because it is a global city and there is an element of, uh, there is con some contagion that comes out of London. So it is a good one to look at. So London rental changes in the last five years. The borough with the biggest change in average rentals in the last five years is Westminster. And that change as of November, 2021 is over 33%. In the last year alone, it's grown by over 25%, which is absolutely nuts. So really, and, and, what, and also it's only grown by 5.9% since 2019. So what that basically is telling us that rents were pretty good, pandemic came, it fell off an absolute cliff. So absolutely dropped and we know that because you've got central london huge amounts of airbnb short lets uh, foreign student lets that had to go back onto the ast market uh, flooded uh, that that very uh, sort of specific market with stock um, demand supply imbalances rents came down by a big amount there on average and then what's happened is obviously we've seen demand suddenly come back. It's like the taps have been turned on again, but now demand for the short term lets isn't quite there. Uh, sorry, the supply of the short term lets. People are trying to get back to short term lets, so it's putting off the supply and it's really making rental prices rocket in that area. So really kind of interesting to, to see that stuff going on. Um, Looking at some of those other um, boroughs that kind of look at the other end of the spectrum, we've got Barking and Dagenham. They've they've got the weakest annual growth, but it's still four percent. That's that's not bad, is it? When you kind of look at that and you compare it to other things. But I guess look, it's all relative, isn't it? Um, if it's four percent, you might think, oh, that sounds good. But if every other market, uh, whether it's equities or what have you, is has gone up by more, then well, you've got to you've got to compare uh, opportunities with other opportunities available to you at this time. There's no point in comparing to what was uh, when we're looking at investing. Yields as well, yields in London. I mean, when you kind of say these numbers to people up north, they might kind of spit their tea out and think, what the hell's going on? That's not a good yield. But actually, yields are looking not bad. Look around kind of your Wimbledons and uh, and the suburbs of London, you're in your kind of fours to five percent yields, which actually isn't isn't too bad. Uh, London, uh, zone one, zone two, trading at kind of two and a half to three percent. So again, it's kind of where it's been. It's not, it's not kind of shot up, it's not shot down. So again, it's fairly sustainable there. Now, if it was kind of bubble territory, you'd be finding that actually those yields would have been absolutely squeezed. And what's quite good, if anyone remembers um, uh, Fraser, who came on the show to talk about prime, um, prime London market, prime resi market, um, he had some absolutely brilliant info about uh, comparing it to long-term bond yields, to gold prices, to equities. 
And actually that prime market um, is looking quite good value at the moment when you compare it uh, to its relationships and the spreads with those other asset classes. So again, it doesn't really show, doesn't really show the bubble. And then we can get onto room rentals as well. So room rentals are an interesting one because you might think, well, I don't really care about room rentals. I'm not an HMO landlord, but it represents the most transient part of the market and the fastest moving rental market. So it's, it's really interesting to see what, what's going on there. So with room rental, average prices were down in the UK by 3%. But the UK, excluding London, was up 2% year on year. London is down by 6.8% from 2019. So again, we're looking at pre-pandemic prices. So again, it's still down by quite a bit um, on, that, on those room rates. We know it dropped off, um, off a cliff, really, in London especially. Uh, no one really wanted to be in a room on their own uh, during the pandemic. I don't blame them. Um, but as we've seen, prices have start rents have started to go up a bit, but we're still not where we were for 2019. And the UK as a whole is down by 4% since 2019. Um, so not one area, not one single area of London is back to its 2019 average room rates when we're looking at kind of north, northwest, south, southwest, southeast, etc., central. Um, and I think that's really kind of telling. So there should be, and again, looking at some of those industries that people um, who rent rooms are in, if you're an HMO landlord, are you renting to that service industry or are you actually targeting, I don't know, logistics and transport workers? Because their wages have really gone up. So there should be some, some room there uh, for some growth, which could be quite uh, appealing to some of those landlords there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I won't go into huge amounts of details on which boroughs and, and things like that are, are doing well, but really what's happening, and, and, and this can be seen throughout the UK too, um, there are, I think there's only about two or three areas of the UK where those room rates are back at those 2019 prices. Um, I will just give a quick shout out here to Ballum, fantastic area of London where I'm actually from, and that... Uh, that has got the best annual change um, between last year and this year, or, or um, between Q3 of 2020 and Q3 2021, where it's up 14% on the room rents. Uh, so, yeah, big shout out to Bellum. Um, and, yeah, by area, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see that actually, even if you go back to 2018, we're still not quite at 2018's levels um, in, in London. I'm just looking at a graph here and actually there is yep, not one single part of London that's back to its, uh, to its uh, 2018 levels, let alone 2019 levels. So again, for me, is it bubble there? Obviously not. We've gone down, affordability's up. So just goes to show you can't always believe what you hear in the media, um, despite the Guardian and I don't know the Daily Express telling you about how much house prices have increased. Yes, they have, but it's all relative. It's all relative to what's, what else is out there. So guys, again, apologies that I haven't got a guest today. I wanted to get something out. 
to you ASAP. I know it's been a while. I've got some absolutely fantastic guests that we've just started recording on. Um, they'll be released around January. We're going to be getting episodes out every two weeks because uh, I know I've been a bit behind. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping you can uh, please leave us a review. Please like our posts. Please tell other people about us. We're trying to increase our listener base. If you can share uh, the podcast with your colleagues, with your friends, with anyone that's interested in property, business and investment, I will be eternally grateful. So until next time, if I don't speak to you before Christmas, I hope you will have a great one. And I'm looking forward to getting 2022 underway and getting a load of good information out to you all. Cheers, everyone. Bye.